Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this uh, great book uh, that reminds us of your grace and our freedom. Uh, may we never forget it. May we live by it. May we be motivated by it. May it change us completely as people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I was thinking about uh, receiving a really poor service at a restaurant. I think everyone's uh, had that experience where uh, you, you just, you're not getting served very well at, at a restaurant. I can remember on multiple occasions. I, f- I feel like small children uh, really kind of makes it even worse. I remember being at a restaurant and we'd been sitting there for like an hour, you know, with, you know, a seven-year-old and a one-year-old and we still hadn't gotten our food yet. And I'm sitting there kind of looking at Cheryl going, this thing's about to explode. Uh, nobody in this restaurant knows it, but you know it and I know it. This is about to turn bad, right? Our, our kids are losing their patience. And whenever I think about really kind of poor uh, uh, poor service at a restaurant. I always think about a series of uh, really old jokes, and there's a million variations on this joke, but, but it's the joke of, waiter, there's a fly in my soup, all right? And uh, I've heard this joke to- told a million different ways. Let me give you just a few of them. Uh, waiter, there's a dead fly in my soup. Yes, sir, it is the hot water that kills them. Um, waiter, there's a fly in my soup. Don't worry, sir, the spider on the bread roll will kill him soon. Um, Uh, Atheist, there's a fly in my soup. Waiter, praying. Atheist, very funny. I can't eat this. Take it back. Waiter, you see, the fly's prayers were answered. Uh, Waiter, there's a bee in my soup. Yes, it's the fly's day off. Waiter, there's a fly in my soup. Well, sir, there's no extra charge for that. Uh, Waiter, there's a fly in my soup. No, that's a cockroach. The fly's on your steak. Um, Right? Waiter, there's a fly doing in my, fly, uh, waiter, what is the fly doing in my soup? Well, it looks like he's doing the backstroke to me, all right? Waiter, there's a fly in my soup. Sorry, sir, I, I forgot about it when I removed the other three, right? And, and that, I thought about that, uh, mildly funny, but I, I thought about that uh, because it is the epitome of bad service to me. And we tend to think about this a lot. We tend to think about how am I going to be served a lot when, when you leave church here today and we'll get you out in plenty of time to beat all the other churches to the restaurant. But as you're making that decision, you will be thinking through this, right? Someone will say, what about this restaurant? Like, I'll oh, remember the food was really bad there. What about this restaurant? Remember the service was really slow there. What about this restaurant? Yeah, we had to wait a table for a table for like 45 minutes. And you will think through in, in a variety of ways how I am being served. And, and this is at the front of our minds all the time. How am I being served? And while all of that's true, um, there's actually a more important spiritual question that, that is lurking behind all of this, that, that is really super important, that Paul is gonna hit on in Galatians 4. And it's not, how am I being served? The question lurking behind all of this is, who am I serving? Because we tend to consciously think through, how am I going to be served? But Paul's gonna make the argument to, uh, to us today that even more important than how am I gonna be served is who have I chosen to serve in this life? Who who am I serving? And that's a whole lot more important. So you can open your Bibles to Galatians 4. Um, We've been in uh, this kind of section of scripture in Galatians 1 uh, 1 through 3 and part of 4, articulating kind of, Paul is articulating all these ways in which Jesus is better and Jesus is sufficient. Last week we talked about the idea that Jesus is better because he's a good father and he tells us who we are. He's a good dad. You can trust him. And then flowing out of this is this idea that because he's a good father, you can give your life to him. You can serve him. Uh, you can make him your Lord, not, not just your savior. You, you can make him your Lord and you can serve him. And that, this idea of serving someone, 
this language might rub you the wrong way a, a little bit because we're kind of uh, indoctrinated against that idea in this culture a little bit. But Paul is going to make the argument, no, the question is not, are you going to serve someone? Everyone is serving someone or something, right? So the argument is not if, the argument is who, right? Who are you going to serve? What are you going to give your life to? And that is critically important, right? And so if that language kind of rubs you the, uh, the wrong, the idea of uh, being a servant, or Paul's going to use the language being a slave, but really what he's talking about is being a servant. He, Paul didn't think about slavery in the same way that we think about it in our culture. So think about the word servant. He says, hey, you think about that idea, everyone's serving someone, everyone's serving something. You get to choose who it's going to be. So Paul starts in Galatians 4, uh, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods, right? So Paul uses this language to describe the servant language, the slave language. He, he's going to use it in the book of Galatians in three kind of distinct ways. And the first way, which is in this text, is in relationship to the law, uh, which is an important distinction here, all right? The law of God is valuable, and the law of God is good in a lot of ways that we've talked about this series, but the law is not God. Now, the law reveals the heart of God. The law is hugely valuable in that way, but we shouldn't worship the law, right? We, we shouldn't trust in the law, Paul will say, for our salvation. We shouldn't rely on the law for our changed lives. The law should... <laughs> I'm going through puberty all of a sudden, right? Um, a little late, I feel like, but um, the law should correctly motivate us to seek Jesus, to worship Jesus, and trust in Jesus, but the law is the word of God. The law is not God it, it, itself, and I think trusting in the law for their salvation was really hard for the Jewish people that Paul was addressing because the law had been God's gift to them, and so they loved the law, rightfully so. They loved the law. They understood the law better than probably anybody in this room. As a matter of fact, as a little Jewish boy, when you were kind of growing up in that culture and you were studying uh, to be a rabbi, a lot of these even little kids would have the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They'd have it memorized. All right, they'd have it memorized word for word. So they loved the law and the law was a good thing. Here's the mistake that they made. They didn't understand when Jesus came out of the scene, they didn't understand that the entire law was pointing to Jesus. And so they missed the law become flesh. They missed the one that the law was all about. And so they ended up, instead of trusting in Jesus, they ended up trusting in the law. They said, man, my right behavior will make me right with God. My right choices will make me okay with God, and I'll be okay because of my obedience. And they missed the freedom in Christ. They missed what the entire law was about. Now listen, our culture doesn't struggle with this in the same way, but our culture does struggle with this. As a matter of fact, if you were to go around uh, our, our, even our community here in Decatur, and you were to go around and say, man, do you have hope for the next life? Do you have confidence that you're going to go to heaven? Most people would say, I do. And you would say, why? And here's what they would say. Most people, they said, because I'm a good person. Because I'm, I'm a rule keeper. I'm a good citizen. I do good things. I serve my neighbor. And I think a huge percent of our, of our culture thinks that is enough. Um, so we're not, we're not trusting in Jesus for our salvation. We're trusting in our work and our good deeds for our 
salvation. So sometimes Paul uses this, uses this word uh, serving, that you're serving the law. He, he's describing it in this way. You're a slave to the law, that you're trusting in the law for your salvation. You're trusting in the law for your changed life. You're trusting in the law for your future. And the law does a lot of good things. It does. But the law was never intended to do that. As a matter of fact, I have talked with a ton of people in end of life scenarios. And the number one thing that they think is this, have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Have I served enough? Have I, have I financially given enough? Am, am I okay with God based on what I have done? And one of my great joys to be able to do for people in that moment is that let me tell you where your grace is. Let me tell you where your hope is. Your hope is not in what you have done. Have you done enough? Probably not, honestly. Where your hope is in that moment is that Jesus has done enough and he covers you. He covers your shortcomings. He covers your sin. He covers your mistakes. So at this end of life moment, I want to encourage you. And, and, and for those of us not in that moment, I want to encourage you this way as well. Trust in Jesus. His work is enough. His grace is enough. His effort is enough. Trust in him. And he will carry you through to the end. So Paul uses that, that some people are serving the law. Paul will also use this language in the book of Galatians to describe those that are serving sin or serving the, the flesh, that we have become slaves or servants of a thing rather than God. And listen, most of the time what this is that Paul describes is a good thing that has become a God thing. So let me ask you, is food a good thing? Somebody say amen. Yes, it is. Right? I love me a good steak. I love me a good meal. I love a good slow meal that has been completely robbed of me since we had children, right? <laughs> now, the minute somebody puts a plate of food in me, I'm like, <clears throat> yeah. That, it used to be a slow, savoring meal, right? I used to love doing that, and now it's just like, hurry, you know, get, it, get it in before something bad happens, right? Um, so that's not just me. I know it's not, all right? So, right? Is, is food a good thing? Yes, God created food. But when we become slaves to it, it becomes overeating and indulgence, and those are not good things, right? Is sex a good thing? Yes, God created it. You understand that, right? He didn't create Adam and Eve, leave for five minutes, and be like, oh my goodness, what are you doing, right? He didn't, that didn't, that's not how that happened, right? That was more awkward than I intended it to be. I'm sorry, right? <laughs> No, sex and procreation was created by God. But when we become slaves to it, when we become servants of it, 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 becomes, it becomes a bad thing. Is family a good thing? Yes, of course, God created family. But when we become servants to it and slaves to it, it becomes overscheduled and harried and, and not a good thing. And this is the problem with small G gods, is they never do what they promise they're going to do. So Paul will sometimes use this word servant. Sometimes he uses it to describe the law, that you are a servant of the law. You're, you're resting on the law for, you're resting on your good works to be good with God. Sometimes he'll use it to describe sin, that you're serving this good thing that has become a God thing and you become a slave to it. And then sometimes Paul will use the same word to describe our relationship to Jesus right, as a good thing, that we are called to be slaves to Christ. We are called to serve him. We are called to do his will. We are called to do his desire. So let me show you what Jesus says one time, right? I think this was really an amazing thing Jesus said, and, and uh, this is uh, from the book of Matthew. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and vermin destroy. I love that translation of it. My, my, tra- my NIV translation says moth and rust. I love vermin, right? Moth and vermin uh, destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And here's what Jesus says. No one can serve two masters. Either he will be devoted to the one and hate the other. Uh, Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The point is this. Everyone is a slave to something. Everyone is serving something. For some of you, it is maybe the law, and you are trusting in your good deeds to make you good with God. And you, but you always have this thing in the back of your head. Have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Have I kept the law uh, enough? For some of you, maybe it's like a, a good thing that has become a God thing, and it's like a false little G God or false idol, and you're giving your life to it. And then for some of you in this room, for some of you, you have made the decision to follow Jesus and you have given your life to him. And he is worthy of that because he is a good God. So we all get to choose what we're gonna serve. We all get to serve who we're gonna serve. And I wanna make the argument to you today that the best decision you can make out of the three that I gave you, the law, sin, or Christ, is Christ. He is worthy of this. He, he, his, his glory has demonstrated that he can handle this, that he is a good, gracious, and kind God. And so we decide, we make the decision, Paul says, to serve him to be his servant, to give our life to him. And you say, well, out of those three things, like how do I know what, what I'm doing and who I've given my life to? And I want to give you just a couple things to think about and then one more towards the end of the sermon. First of all, follow your time. Does a dispro- disproportionate amount of your time go to something that, that's not Jesus? And, and listen, this is a disproportionate thing. Hobbies are cool, right? Hobbies are good. There's nothing wrong with hobbies, but have people in your life express a concern about the amount of time you give to fill in the blank, right? If people that you love and care about are saying, man, you give a lot of time to boom, this, I would pay attention to that. And I would listen to that. That is people in your life that are maybe pointing out to you in a loving way that you are trusting in a thing rather than Jesus, Follow your money. Jesus taught us this, that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So does a disproportionate amount of your income go to, a, go to fill in the blank? Are you unable to be generous with others? Are you unable to kind of be, uh, uh, to, to be generous with God and to obey his commands about money because it's all going to fill in the blank? So follow your money and then follow your feed. This is something I wouldn't have had to say five years ago even. Follow your feed. Right? What are you talking about on social media? What do they reveal about who you are following and what you believe in and who you are serving? Who you are giving your life to? I pr- promise you, if you follow your feed for very long, you will discover this is the thing I most care about. This is the thing that is most important to me. Paul continues. But now that you know God, all right? Now you know God and you are known by God. So you know what a good God he is. You know that he's worthy of you serving him and following him. Now that you know God or are rather known by him, how is it that you are turning back to these weak and miserable forces? 
Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. Remember, this goes back to week one when it's like you gotta be Jewish to be Christian. These false teachers were saying this. You gotta follow the law. You gotta be Jewish. And he said, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you'd have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Look at some of the language Paul uses. He talks about these weak and uh, miserable forces. I like how King James translates this text. He calls them beggarly forces. That Paul describes this as a riches to rags story, right? Not rags to riches, riches to rags. That they had experienced the glory of Jesus. And they had decided under Paul's teaching to give their life to Jesus and to serve him and to serve him alone, that he would be their God and they would be his people. And he says, now you've gone from the riches of freedom, the riches of grace, the riches of Christ, and you are giving yourself to a less than thing. You are giving yourself to beggarly forces, to weak and miserable forces. And this is, uh, th- this is a, a great way to view all of the stuff that we've talked about, right? There is a way to view the law in which, is it, a pow- in which is it, it is a powerful force, right? There's a way to view the law that is powerful, that when your law points out your sinfulness and reminds you of your need for a savior, when the law shows you the holiness and greatness of God, the law is a powerful good force. But when you look at the law of God as a way to save you, as a way that, man, if I can obey this thing, I'll be good with God. When you look at it as a way to save you and you trust in your own righteousness and your own obedience instead of the righteousness of Christ, it becomes a weak force. I feel like I'm talking Star, Star Wars right now, right? right? A weak force versus a strong force, right? Talk about idols for a minute, all right? Think about money, right? There is a way to think about money that makes it powerful, that money is this thing that God has entrusted to me to provide for my needs and so I can be generous with others. Money, when it's viewed the right way, is a powerful force. And then there's a way to view money where, man, I worship it. I'm overly focused on it. I have my security in it. It makes it weak and miserable. Think about work. There is a way to view work that makes it a powerful force. That God has given me this job. Jesus has given me this job. So I am going to work hard at this job, right? I'm going to treat my job as though my ultimate boss is God and not man. I'm going to work for God and not for men. Work is my mission field. It makes it powerful. And then there's a way to view work that makes it a weak and miserable force. That when I turn to it to be my source of everything, I have a good day at work, I'm doing good. I have a bad day at work, I'm doing bad. When it becomes my everything, it becomes a miserable force. And last one, think about family. There is a way to view family that makes it a powerful, good force, right? That that God created family. He gave me these kids and grandkids that I can raise them in the Lord. I can set their feet in the right direction. That is powerful. But then think about family as a God, where my family becomes the thing I focus on for my joy, hope, and peace. Uh, and peace. Family can't hold up to that, and it becomes a weak and miserable force. Paul's point is, why would you turn to a weak and miserable force 
when you have Jesus, a powerful force? Why would you turn to something less than when you have Jesus? Paul's admonition here is just turn to him. He will lead you well. He will give you life. He will give you his Holy Spirit. He will, in short, save you. And Paul viewed his role here as a truth teller, right? He talks about coming to them and telling them the truth about man. You're turning to the wrong thing. You're trusting in the wrong thing. You're giving your life to the wrong thing. And Paul viewed himself in, in this way. He actually talks about that it was a sickness that brought him to the Galatians. There's a kind of an interesting kind of maybe nerdy Bible trivia thing here. That in another passage of scripture, Paul talks about how he, had been given, how he had been given this thorn in the flesh that Jesus would not rescue him from. And scholars have debated for years about what is the thorn in the flesh. A lot of people think based on this passage that it was eyesight that um, Paul had experienced blindness. He talks in this passage about how the Galatians would have ripped out their own eyes and given them to Paul if they had the ability to do that. And so a lot of people think that Paul in some way had maybe gone blind or lost his eyesight, but Paul had spent some time with the Galatians and he had preached Jesus to them and the beauty and glory of Jesus and how he is worth giving their life to. Jesus is worth it. He's worth giving their life to. And now he says, you're turning back to these weak and miserable forces. And Paul has some strong language here. He says, have I wasted my time with you? I felt like the Lord through the illness brought us together. And I feel like I gave you the gospel. I feel like I gave you Jesus. And now you're just turning back to something less than, you're turning back to the law. You're turning back to work. You're turning back to family. You're turning back to money. You're turning back to that, th these things. Have I wasted my time with you? And Paul has these harsh words for the Galatians because he wants them to see the truth. I remember years ago, I heard um, a Catholic author say that the most, uh, he'd written some really kind of big books that had, have done really well. And he says, the most criticism I ever, ever received from one of my books is when people perceive that I am criticizing capitalism in any way. He says that people feel like I'm talking about the greed that can accompany capitalism. He said, I will get overwhelming negative feedback. My, my, my uh, inbox on my email will just fill up. If I even hint around that I'm criticizing capitalism. And he said, he went on to say, listen, um, th there's a lot of great things about capitalism. Right? There's a lot of great things, but, but greed is not one of those things. Right? The greed that can come with capitalism. He said, sometimes I will criticize that, and I will get overwhelming criticism. Why? Here's why. That happens. Same reason it happened to Paul. He is poking the bear. He is poking an idol. And you begin to poke someone's bear that, that when, when they are supposed to have their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, and all of a sudden they're trusting in economics, and you start poking at that bear of economics, you better believe you're going to get an email, and it won't be nice, right? Because you're poking at something, a less than thing that they have believed in, and that's what Paul is doing in this text. He's poking at this bear called law. He's poking at this bear called righteousness, that I am good enough. And people, when he started poking at that, that you think you're good enough? No, Christ is good enough. Trust in him. When you start poking at people thinking they're good enough, they will rise up against you. And that's exactly what Paul had. So here's what I would say to you. When you hear a preacher, man, I don't know what's going off my voice today. <laughs> it's, when you hear a preacher, I, um, I feel like it takes away from the authority. I really do. Um, it's just <laughs> undercutting my message, right? 
when you hear a preacher, when you're reading your Bible, when you're listening to a podcast, and you find yourself getting angry about what's being said, listen to that. Pay attention to the things that make you angry. Why are they making you so angry? Is it righteous anger or is it this person's like poking the bear a little bit? That you've trusted in politics, you've trusted in economics, you've trusted in your 401k, you've trusted in this thing rather than Jesus and someone's poking at it a little bit and it hurts and it makes you angry. So Paul says, pay attention to your anger and then he's gonna finish this out here in verse 17. This is a, this point here. I think it is so important to to hit on. So um, let's get into it. Verse 17, those people, talking about these people that said you should trust in the law now that the Galatians were struggling with, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose of good, and, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. He says these false teachers had come to the Galatians and they want you to be zealous about the law, but they want you to be zealous for them. He's talking about these peddlers of the law that are saying, trust the law, the law will save you, become Jewish. They want you to win, uh, they want to win you over, they want you to follow them, why? So you might have zeal for them. Listen to this, at the end of the day, these false teachers weren't even about the law. They were using the law, but they were not even about the law. At the end of the day, these false teachers, Paul says, were about themselves. And this is almost always true of a false teacher. It is almost always true of a false idol. They are not about you. They are about themselves. And Paul's going to draw, draw a distinction between them and Jesus. But here's what he wants you to see. Jesus loves you and Jesus cares about you. These false teachers, these false idols, these false gods, they don't care about you. Take materialism for a minute. Those that push materialism as a savior, that you buy this product, you buy this thing, it is going to functionally save you. Do they love you when they're peddling that? Paul would say, no, they don't love you. They are looking to sell product. And there's a difference, right? They are looking to sell you product. My son, Sam, uh, he's gonna be eight at the end of this week. He is the easiest sell I have ever seen in my life. I'm worried about him, all right? Every single commercial that comes on the TV, he's like, we have to have that. It's like, Sam, we don't have plaque psoriasis. So he's like, no, we need that drug. No, we don't, we don't have psoriasis, we don't need it. And every single commercial that comes on, he is sold, right? We have to have that. So, and part of it is for a long time, all we did was Netflix, we didn't have TV. So he never even saw commercials. And now like at seven, he's seen commercials for the first time. He's like, I want that, I want that, I want that. It's like, dude, I don't have psoriasis. But anyway, all right, I feel like I'm pushing that too hard. Like I'm hiding something, right? 
No, I think he does have psoriasis. No, that's just an example, right? That's the most recent example. It's like he wants his medication for psoriasis. And Cheryl's like, no, we we don't need that. But he's an easy sell in that way. This is Paul's point. That they're not for you, they're for their product. Politics, right? When people that push uh, politics as a savior. Do you think all, poli- I mean, some probably do, but do you think all politicians everywhere, I can't even say it with a straight face. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you think they love you, huh? right? <laughs> it's funny, right? I mean, we, we all laugh about it, right? And, and some of them probably do, honestly. I, I've known some politicians that I think have really tender hearts, but Paul would say they may not love you as much as they think you, as, as much as you think they do. Here's what they may be doing. They may be trying to achieve power using you for power. Think about those that pedal sports as a savior. I'm a big Michigan State guy, all right? Some of you know that. My wife uh, graduated from there, and I can tell this. I'm just going to use myself as an example. Michigan State does not love me. They don't even know me. Cheryl gets a couple form letters a year because she's alumni asking for money, and we laugh and throw it away, right? (laughs) Uh, yeah, we're not, we're not going to give our money to Michigan State. <laughs> they're, they're doing okay, right? So, um, so th- think about it for a minute, all right? So Michigan State doesn't love me, so what, what do they want? They, they want to gain a fan base, and they want to gain wins, and they want to gain victories. So Paul would say about these false teachers, listen, they're peddling this thing, but they don't love you. Paul says they love themselves. So now, I just let me tell you about Jesus, Jesus was in heaven, doing whatever Jesus was doing in heaven with the Father. And at some point, Jesus left heaven and he came to earth, born of a woman. Jesus went through puberty for you. Think about that for a minute, right? Jesus went through all of those kind of growing up years where, who knows, we don't have a ton of record about what that was like for Jesus, but just growing up with all of the challenges of, of, of childhood and of growing up and all of that. He left heaven and he came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He refused to give into temptation. At one point he was, because he knew he needed to be the perfect sacrifice. So at one point he was like in the desert for like 40 days. Satan came and tempted him and it was terrible. It was awful, but Jesus refused to give in. There were difficult times for Jesus where friends betrayed him. Friends turned their back on him. Friends gave up on him, but he never sinned. Jesus went to the cross eventually. He went to the cross and he had nails driven in, a thorn, a crown put on his head. He was mocked and beaten and then put into the ground. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Why did he do that? Because he is for you. You don't do that because you're for yourself, right? You don't do that because you love yourself more than you love others. You do that because you love others. So one of the things that we say around here all of the time, because it is so important that you understand it, is he loves you. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. So you can trust him. You can follow him. You can give your life to him. He's not for himself. He's for you. And so everything he's done has been to to bring you into the family so that you could have a right relationship with God and and be saved. He's not like politicians. And we can't even say it with a straight face. 
right? He's not like the products on TV who are just trying to get you to buy their products. They may care about you in some abstract, obscure way, but mostly they're for profit. He's not like that. He's for you. He loves you. And you can give your life to him. So every one of us, Paul says, we have a choice to make. Who are we going to be servants of? If you don't like the language or whatever, I'm sorry, but everyone is serving someone. Everyone is serving something. Every single one of us has given our life to something. You get to choose who it is. Is it going to be the law and your own righteousness? Is it going to be some lesser God that is really for themselves and not, not even for you? Or is it for Jesus? You're going to give your life to Jesus who loves you more than I, I am failing to describe how much he loves you. He loves you so much and he gave his life for you. You can trust him. Give your life to him. Serve him. Worship him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. And we all have this choice that we're gonna make in life about who and what we're gonna serve, who and what we're gonna give our life to. And there are a lot of things in this culture, a lot of people in this culture that are vying for that top spot. Advertisers, politicians, I even think this idea of trusting in the law, trusting in our own righteousness is as big in our culture as maybe it was in the Galatians culture, the Galatia culture. Being a good person is huge to our culture. Trusting in our own works is huge in our culture. And today we wanna just remember about how much Jesus loves us, that he's for us, that we can trust him and we want to make the decision today. We want to renew the decision today that we're going to serve him. We're going to serve his desires. We're going to serve his wishes. We're going to do uh, to the best of our ability, do what he wants us to do. And we're going to trust in him for our salvation. We're going to trust his grace. We're going to trust his commands. We're going to trust everything. And that we would move forward from this point forward with Jesus. Why? Because we know, Jesus, that you love us. We know that you gave your life for us. And we know that you're leading us to life. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion right now. And this is an opportunity for us to remember how much he loves us. Like I said, this is a, this is a, um, a meal, if you will, that Jesus instituted, uh, that we do, we do it every week here at our church. You know, we're not going to judge churches that do it another way, but we do it every week because every week we want to be reminded of this. It is so important that he gave his life for us, that he loves us, he's for us, that we can trust him, we can follow him. And uh, this is just a reminder that, man, every week I come in here and I can look back on the week, it's like, man, I may be trusted in Uh, this a little too much. I maybe trusted in that a little too much. I learned a long time ago not to trust in Michigan State for my joy, hope, and peace, right? Those athletics, I learned a long time ago not to do that, but there are other things, right? And I'm like, man, I've got too much wrapped up in this, and I need to renew my commitment to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. And this helps me, this is kind of me talking, this helps me to remember how much he loves me and that I can trust him.
of that. We're going to have two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing Jesus' body. The other has some juice representing his blood that he gave. He gave because he loves us and we can trust him. And so you just hold on to those and you just thank him for what he did. That's what this time is for. It's thanking him. It's remembering what he did. It's remembering the cross, remembering the brutality um, and uh, remembering what he accomplished. And then I'll come back up and we'll receive communion together uh, as a church family after it's all passed out.